Hey folks, welcome to episode 88 of Biomast. We have a kind of a, a cool show for you tonight. What we're going to talk about is uh, some old school zombie games, like stuff that you, like, you thought was dead or you didn't even know that people still played. And it's probably older than maybe some of the people that actually are in this room, which could be kind of fun. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about, uh, you know, some you know, game company slash uh, community relations topics that are coming up uh, by way of our favorite uh, platform, CCP. Uh, so without further ado, like I do on occasion, I will kick off with a couple interesting things about the number 88. In this case, we're going to talk about 1988. So the most specific thing that we can get into for this show reference 1988 is the fact that our own Pokey Draven was born in 1988. So I'm going to rattle off a couple quick facts, and this should probably set the stage for what was really saturating him culturally, you know, from birth, essentially, to produce the little shit that we have now. So, uh, if, if memory serves me correctly, 1988 was the year that some seminal things happened in American culture. Um, I believe that's when Sweet Child of Mine from Guns N' Roses came out. So, that works well with Pokey being born. I'm kind of okay with that. Uh, I believe that that was when Billy Ocean's Get Out of My Dreams, Get Into My Car also debuted and more importantly and probably more specifically relevant to pokey i am a hundred percent sure that that is when rick astley cut the immortal track never going to give you up so uh i will also offer that there's some goodness involved in this too so when i start putting my thinking cap on a little bit more i don't i'm not as big into movies as i or as i am to music so understanding when things were put out but what I do know is one of the greatest movies of all time ever, like ever, came out in 1988. And that would be the one and the only Die Hard with Officer John McClane taking down Nakatomi Tower. And we can watch Hans Gruber, Alan Rickman, God rest his soul, falling off that motherfucker every year at Christmas from now on. So that leads me into our, this is what happened in 1988, the year of our pokey's birth. All right, so now that we've got that out of the way, let's go ahead and start with some intros, boys. Uh, let's go ahead and kick it off with the birthday boy himself. Well, kind of Pokey Draven. <laughs> hey, I'm Pokey Draven from OSG Planetary Operations, co-host here of the show, and I write for the blog. That's right. Like, how does it feel to, to know that you were Rickrolled at birth? It's true. The year I was conceived, I the world got Rickrolled, so that'll that'll last me for a lifetime. So thank you for ruining my life now. Hey, man, I'm just here to help, baby. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's see. Jadik Menaheim. Uh, I'm Jadik Menaheim, a.k.a. Neckbird Nixon, and uh, Acolyte Mission Bear, uh, Salvage Vulture, and EVE Online. That was a very fancy way of saying that you, like, have nothing to do in your spare time and you mess with people on the internet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, Darth. Hi, I'm Darth Carbonite, member of CPM2, and happy birthday, Pokey. Sweet. Darth, I love this. We're going to have some fun with you too, Darth, in a little bit uh, as we Can't talk wait. about talk about the infamous Force Awakens. Infamous in a good way. Like they're infamous, like they're more than famous. Anybody know where that came from? Jadik, help me out. You guys are killing me. Three amigos. Jesus Christ. How old are you people? Like 17, 20? Jesus. All right. So let's see. The last member of the, uh, the dirty quarter dozen here, Mr. Zell. Hi. 
Just, just that's usually what we get out of him, by just, the way. Just <laughs> kill me. I'm serious. It's it's. I've had an awful day. Um, I I started by like waking up and rolling over, and my head thought it kept rolling, and and I could barely walk. So I've I've had a really lousy day, and it's four degrees um, Fahrenheit here. So um, if it's not frozen yet, it will be. <laughs> well. That's okay. I mean, it, it happens, but you are in the uh, an interesting part of the world, aka Illinois. Yes, I know there's no noise in Illinois, but there is where I come from. So without further ado, let's go ahead and uh, kind of kick off into a couple of different topics. Like I said, we're going to talk about a few things um, in terms of uh, kind of the meat of the show will be about kind of old school games that have been around for a very, very long time and perhaps maybe have transitioned hands or you know kind of surprising in terms of how they survived that kind of thing that's kind of the main part of our show but before we get to that uh right before the show uh, jadick was we were chatting around skype and he kicked out a kind of an interesting um excerpt from the recently released uh white paper update on the csm that's counselor stella management for the eve online team that's basically the csm is the um, uh player elected uh, representatives, if you will, to to CCP, the the company that produces Eve Online. So a lot, a lot of other games actually have some sort of semi uh, formal community process where they have uh, like vetted members or trusted members that are either chosen from the community by the by the, de- the, the, the excuse me the developers or that the community then puts forth to the developers is sort of if not go betweens almost kind of community manager type people or um, perhaps even in some cases with the way CCP uses it almost sort of like a sounding board or you know think tank might be a strong word based on some of the people I've seen in the CSM and CPM but uh, there's a tank and occasionally there's thinking in it uh, so it it is an interesting process that happens organically when you have a a games as a service type company managing an incredibly large population of gamers that are that is that they are providing a service to. Uh, it's something that you probably will never see happen with AT and T. It doesn't work that way in in terms of service industry, but games as a service is a little bit different. So, the CSM white paper is kind of the governing document that defines that relationship between that that sort of player go between that player elected go betweens who are not actual uh, employees of CCP. They're literally just members of the community that, in some cases, may have a little bit different access than the normal community. They usually have to sign an NDA, non-disclosure, non-disclosure agreement, things like that. So uh, it's kind of interesting. So one of the things that they've updated is that there was a line in there where that, that is a recent addition that basically says, if you are a member of game gaming media, uh, you could be or would be disqualified from being a member of the council. Now, there's a couple different reasons for this, uh, we think. And I'll be kind of interested to hear Darth's take on this as well, by the way, since he's kind of a sitting member of a body, you know, like this, so to speak. He so, just kind of snuck in here, didn't he? He did. He, you know, he's he's Darth Ninja Carbonite. He's, he's one of the few Sith with two names. So <laughs> it's uh, it, it basically there's one school of thought where they wanted a little bit more controlled access, so that it's more about like a trade secret type thing, like a or an industry. Uh, like industrial operational security type thing. That's one method Uh, or like that's one justification for it. The other one, uh, and I think this is probably more relevant, 
over the last year or two, really last year and a half between the last, the current and the last CSM, any of the community reps need, there has been a lot of very public drama associated with those two groups. Uh, at the very end of the CSM nine, they're on, I think they're on round 10. They're about to start elections for 11. There was a ton of dirty laundry getting aired, like council members sniping each, at each other extremely publicly, uh, shooting back and forth at CCP. And then CCP on a couple occasions actually would punch down to them publicly, which again, it got very ugly towards the last part of CSM 9's term. One of the hallmarks of CSM 9, at least that iteration of it, been around for nine years, so it's a very mature process, is that several members were uh, big community media people, podcasters, bloggers, website managers, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and they were using these forums kind of like clubs against each other um, in what I would perceive as personal spats. There were also a couple instances where some of the meet the quote unquote community media folks would basically get right up to the edge, or in some cases, depending on who you ask, including other council members, believe they crossed the NDA line, the non-disclosure agreement line, putting things out to the public that had not been cleared, released, or were appropriate to release from CCP's perspective. So it really doesn't surprise me that they're adding this kind of caveat in there. But what, what they've also done, which is pretty smart, although it's frustrating, they don't really define what game media is or gaming media is. It could literally be, in theory, uh, anybody with a really, uh, a really well-populated Twitter account to somebody that runs a podcast, runs a blog and a website and all kind of other stuff. So it's kind of interesting how that, how that came about. Uh, so I just like to kind of open that up for discussion. And if possible, Darth, since you're the member of uh, the CPM, which is kind of the Dust 514 uh, community representation model that the CSM was based on. I'm just curious about your thoughts on the recent additions, at least in that specific instance or that specific inject into the new CSM white paper. Well, I certainly don't pretend to have any actual knowledge about how this change went down or why they did it. Um, but you hit the nail on the head in that the CSM in particular has taken a lot of flack uh, in recent times. And also, as you said, it would make sense potentially for CCP to remove the, um, the possibility of people using uh, NDA material for their own gains. No, uh, uh, well, I, I do appreciate that. Now, I guess, uh, let's see, any other thoughts? JDEC, Pokey, Zell, former member of a uh, gaming community platform? Um, I, I know nothing. Um, it, it's just yes, that... but please answer my question. Which question? Um, you know, it, it seems like, uh, yeah, it, it seems like a good way to, to stop conflict of interest issues. Um, I'm sure they would rather have um, CSM members guest on media platforms rather than run media platforms themselves. Um, there was always, I mean, there was always a distinct question, like when, when I was on the CPM, um, you know, uh, and, and we had this, we had this out um, in, internally, but, you know, there was a question of, you know, well, what if someone breaks the, the NDA on the show? Do I use, wear my CPM hat and, and make it not happen? in the publishing or do I wear my journalist hat and say, well, it was said and the people deserve to know it's, you know, there's a, there's a conflict there 
naturally, and it can if it comes up, it can naturally be kind of difficult to deal with. I do agree also that it was uh, perhaps poorly written, and that for those that intend to run for CSM in the future, it would help to know what they're what they mean about media. I I suspect it means whatever CCP needs it to mean at yeah, the time. Yeah, and that's but but if you think about it, that's that's how most game companies write their EULAs. Um, that and they do that very intentionally in order to give them the flexibility to deal with autonomous any situation. Like so, for example, if you read if you actually read CCP's EULA, you can be banned or punitively dealt with uh, in their community forums or in game for literally anything. Like literally, it's just how they need to interpret it at the time based on whatever the situation is. And, and you have to, and from my point of view, generally, I, I kind of have to agree with how CCP approaches it in that there's no way you can, you can war game every situation, define the line only for people, which, you know, let, let us be real. People that purvey CCP games are known for being really smart and really toxic so they will go right up to the line uh, to try to test it. So why define the line? Uh, so I, I could I could see a little bit where it's coming from. By and large, they handle it well, but we'll see I'm how this goes. That. I would I would definitely agree with that. Pokey, any thoughts? Uh, yeah, I was just you know just tinfoil wondering if it was actually them just being. Uh, uh, you know, planning ahead, or if there actually was an issue that they were having that they needed to kind of put the the verbiage in place to go, okay, yeah, we're going to shut this down now because it's it's becoming a problem rather than it might become a problem. I mean, a, a change like this, you you kind of start to wonder what triggered this to happen. You know, at this particular time, was there a trigger, or did they just decide one day, hey, we need to potentially lock this sort of thing down from happening? You know, and that's, I mean, largely it's irrelevant, but it does make me curious. Well, if they try and extend this to the the CPM white paper, we're going to have to start like a grassroots hashtag campaign to let Pokey be a CPM candidate. He'll have to choose. That's assuming there even is a CPM three, of course. That's true. Now, well, here's now just one thought also on this is uh, for Eve Online, it's it's uniquely different than uh, than like Dust. I mean, Dust was a, is is I guess still technically a a very niche game. Uh, fairly low player population in the grand scheme of things, uh, particularly amongst, amongst online games. Very, very small. Uh, but EVE Online is actually has some cachet you know, internationally and periodically, at, at one time, had a, a fairly significant you know, game population. It never got anything, anywhere near things like WoW or stuff like that, but it, it is a fairly well-known uh, you know, MMO brand, if you will. Um, Anybody that is trying to get that is actually running for a community-based like representation position or anything like that in a game like Eve or any kind of big MMO, you're, you're talking about like thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people that, in theory, play the game that would potentially be able to vote for you. You, the majority of people, when you just look at like the CSM roster from CSM 10, the the current one, and frankly CSM 9, which I think is the root of where a lot of these problems is. The majority of those people are podcasters in some form or fashion, are bloggers, have some kind of significant YouTube presence or Twitch presence or, or, or Twitter or whatever. Almost all of them in some way, form or fashion, with very few exceptions, you know, or they have a website that they, you know, they're the purveyor of, something like that. It's very difficult 
not to be involved in that. If you're serious enough about a game, particularly a game like Eve, where it, just eats, it can eat a lot of time, it's like a second job when you get into that level, it, it, I think it would be uncommon for people not to be to dabble in quote unquote gaming media, you know, technically, uh, and and to get elected if that makes sense. For people to vote for you, they need to yeah. know who you are. So it helps to have a platform. Yeah, no, I, and I think that's a I think that is a big part of it. Uh, I suspect. Yeah. So from what I've heard so far is um, sites that have been considered like Eve fan sites are pretty much in the clear. But what determines a fan site? Oh, well, CCP does. There's an actual yeah. formal tag that they can give you for fan sites. Okay. Uh, but but that being said, I'm I'm not entirely sure that that's I'm not entirely sure that that's clear either. Like, when do we cross the line into becoming you know more general gaming media because we occasionally talk about other games that we play, or more so when there's nothing dust to talk about? <laughs> that's fair. I mean, it, a lot of it really comes back to, um, I, I think it's what you're using your platform for. Um, I don't think anybody in today's day and age is kind of hard to begrudge somebody like having a Twitter or even a blog or, you know, or running a Facebook page, you know, that says something, something gamers, Facebook page. It's, I think it's just too pervasive in today's society to really hold that against somebody. Now I could see if you're like from Game Informer magazine or something like that, that they're not probably going to want you on board. And frankly, if you're probably some kind of legitimate media, you're, and, and you have your wits about you, you're not going to want to be involved in anything like that either. Uh, at least that's, that would be my take on it. So let's see, I think that covers kind of the, the majority of the discussion about um, sort of that, that sort of interesting aspect of community relations and gaming, you know, utilizing CCP as an example. Uh, what I'd like to do is kind of transition over to one of our main topics uh, for tonight, which is kind of, it's one that we kind of started on uh, the last show somewhat organically. We were talking about kind of old school games that sort of had kind of, we thought were dead or like, wow, I can't believe that thing's still going, you know, or maybe have changed hands and have appeared in a different form, that kind of stuff. So we're kind of going into the Wayback Machine and uh and trying to find some you know we kind of joked about and called them zombie games that you know not zombies per se but things that have been a bit around for a long time you just can't quite kill it uh and jadek kind of he led it off with a pretty interesting uh find with i think it's called meridian 59 right yep that's it yep and i actually he he mentioned the game on the show last week i remembered the name and i was like yeah that i remember that game from somewhere and it was literally just years and years and years ago uh, when I remember looking at it. I think it was like well over 10 years ago. Uh, so that was kind of the deals. We all go back and kind of dig up a couple kind of old games that might still be around or that somehow have like stealthed themse- themselves into the, uh, into the modern age. So I would like, what I'd like to do is kind of turn it over to Jada and give us a quick rundown on what, what the heck is Meridian 59 and why should people care? All right. Well, I ended up finding out about this game originally through um, some research I was doing after the closure of uh, PlayStation Home and the whole idea of um, digital immigration and migration after a a game closes. And I found out about Meridian 59 through that. And uh, it turns out to be the uh, first online MMORPG. Um, Many people think that uh, Ultima Online holds that title, but... uh, this this came out um, in uh, the end of 1995. Um, it was designed by uh, two brothers, Andrew and Chris um, Krimps. 
and they ended up selling it to a company called 3DO for um, some stock in that company. But uh, with Meridian, uh, people design their character, they um, create their initial stats, their attributes, and um, go into this world. And it's a very, very unforgiving place because it's mainly based around dueling. Um, and like the, the the social constructs that people design around building like guilds and alliances and then breaking those because you can attack people unprovoked and um, steal all their loot. So you have to to form these alliances in order to say, like protect all of your assets. So a lot of these uh, social aspects are what really bound people to to staying in this game even after um, bigger and uh, much much better. Um, games came out because I guess it, it was it was their first interaction with um, a, like a major online community in this way. Because um, uh, during this time, you had uh, um, your your uh, multi-user dungeons, your muds, and then uh, the the normal um, RPGs. And this was kind of the the first um, big marriage of those two uh, those two areas. And people have stuck around for um, since the game came out in '95. It uh, went open source um, uh, not too long ago, actually, hmm. and it's it's uh, uh, kept around for two major public servers. Um, and people kind of try it out once they hear about it through the news or offhand. But the population of like about 100 to 200 of the original people still stick around. Oh wow, that's pretty cool. But it's kind of the sense that. Uh, They've invested so much time into it already that they they can't give it up. It's kind of like you can draw it's very, parallels very to dust. Online. Yeah, yeah. What's the now Meridian? Fit, I it's a it's a sci-fi setup, right? No, no. It's a uh, kind of like a uh, old uh, medieval esque oh, okay. type uh, uh, warriors, mages, thieves. Ah, oh, the classics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, now that's pretty cool, man. I, I remember the game. I, I just didn't know anything about it. And, I mean, it, what if what I found when I was when I was looking through is like there's a lot of games that are kind of like that that are you know, that are surprisingly still around. But that one is definitely one of the older ones that I saw on any list of kind of like oldest online games still going. That kind of that kind of jazz. Mm-hmm. Um, so now you said that the code was released, so it's basically being run like pro bono at this point. Yeah, the uh, the original. Um brothers uh uh Krimsch brothers they uh they released it uh the, the source code for it and they're hoping to get it um uh, green light onto steam so it has more uh more access and eyes on it then but i'm not sure how that's uh, panned out okay that's pretty cool let's see um any comments on meridian 59 from the team anybody has anybody played that curious no but looking it up just briefly it's pretty cool Alrighty. Um, so I looked at a couple games, um, and, and I kind of came up with one fairly similar to Meridian 59, slightly different uh, kind of posture. And I suspect this is one that most people have heard of. So RuneScape, uh, have you guys heard of that one? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that one, I believe right now, is the oldest developer-supported and continuously updated online game. And I remember playing RuneScape like years ago, uh, briefly. And it's kind of your standard sort of. Um, I think it was, if you know, without going out on a limb, it basically I think set the formula for a lot of things like Warcraft and and things like that, where you had sort of different parts of the uh, 
of the realm, so to speak, that you went and had like different themes and tones and a lot of like PVE style, style activity and quests that you go on. Very much your classic sort of uh, sword and sorcery RPG style setup. Uh, it was interesting in that, that there are no real classes in it. There's no, like you, it's kind of, uh, the only thing I've seen that's close to at least, well, I've seen some other things that are close to it, but the one probably most people would identify is uh, like Skyrim, where you can kind of basically select any of the skills that you want. Uh, it, it's not like a package, like you get where you want to be like a, like, I don't know, like a, a level 12 ninja wizard fighter, you know, whatever, you know, it's, it's a little bit more open-ended than that. Uh, so I remember playing that game a long time ago and I remember somebody had said that it was still around. I, I was very much disbelieving of that. So I Googled it and lo and behold, there's, it's still running. It's a web gate. It's pretty much a web-based game now, uh, from what I can tell. And it's still going along very, very strong with a, a fairly vibrant community. Uh, which again, surprised me that game's been, I think that game came out in like 2001, yep. something like that. It's 15 so years. It's pretty, it's pretty incredible that these things have been around. And if you can imagine the player communities that are built through this, uh, and I would offer that what Jadik described in terms of Meridian 59 about kind of how the communities got together and is like people's first taste of like an online community. That was very much what, like what Eve, Eve online was for me. Uh, and dust to you know to a degree, uh, so I, I can I actually have a certain amount of uh, you know a, a connection to that idea that you know you can actually develop pretty strong social connections through these type of games and actually have a lot of good positive interactions through them. And it's often from a game that lasts over time that lets you invest in it emotionally, not just temporally at, like most games do. So that was kind of my offer was, uh, on this one was the RuneScape game. Uh, has anybody played that game before you guys played that one? Yeah, you actually stole mine. That was the one I was going to mention as well. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah. <laughs> no, no, RuneScape for me was was actually pretty important because that was really the first online game I ever really touched. I mean, it was 2001, and I didn't pick it up right at that time. I think it was still 2D-based at that time. But I, I joined up, I think, shortly after they... Uh, they uh, moved to a more of a 3D uh, style of, of uh, gameplay, but uh, yeah, I mean that was my first my first taste of playing online with people and and getting a taste of all the the stuff that happens in in online communities and in game and the shenanigans that we are all used to. But you know, being a younger kid at the time, it was actually a pretty big deal for me. And uh, one thing that I really latched onto back when I was playing it was the economy and in trading and whatnot. And I actually made a, a pretty absurd amount of cash uh, in game, obviously. But uh, yeah, so I, I had a lot of fun with that. It was it was very interesting. It was certainly a, a good introduction, I think, to a lot of online games that I eventually moved into. Uh, you know, other MMOs and whatnot. But in, in terms of the community, I was really active on the forums and whatnot. And, you know, that kind of spawned the, the craziness that, you know, I still do today. So for me, RuneScape is is actually a pretty big part of my early gaming, at least online gaming uh, experience. So, you know, it's, again, I, I was looking it up and I was like, holy crap, it, it is stunning. And, you know, it's 15 years later. It, it came out in 2001, like Jay said. And, you know, it's it's pretty damn cool when something that was so, you know, pivotal for, you know, my gaming experience when I was younger, still being around is, is pretty neat. So we'll play it again, but it, it will be nice to kind of poke around and see what they've been up to over the past years. Absolutely. Uh, Jadik, you played it before? I don't think I ever got off Turtle Island. <laughs> how, about, how about you, Darth? I, I didn't, I was not much of a uh, 
MMO or multiplayer person, I was stuck with the uh, pen and paper. Oh, that's cool. That's old school. I like. I'm digging it. Yep. Digging yep. It. How about you, Zell? What? Yep. Okay. So, <laughs> the I, I did find one interesting thing about RuneScape that I did want to throw out there. Um, the, I was doing a little bit of research on it, and they have some pretty neat PvP stuff that came along. Have you? Are you guys familiar with like the uh, the Dead Man's version of PV of uh, of RuneScape? No. So that was like a that was like a, I think that I don't know that this server is still out there, but there was for a fairly lengthy time. There's a place called like the Dead Man server or something like that, where it was basically like hardcore mode. So you P, it, it was the entire realm or whatever that it was that was laid out in was all pvp and you literally took from the other person's inventory so it's not just that i'm blowing up like an eve you're like blowing up somebody's ship or whatever their station and you're costing them potentially you know in theory real money at the end when you lay out the logic chain but you normally don't take their much of their stuff quote unquote whereas in this one you actually take their stuff like up to 50% of their entire inventory uh, and their keys, which are kind of, it's, keys are important in RuneScape. Trust me, it's it's a thing. Um, and people can see how many keys you have on you. So the more keys you have on you, the more valuable you are like to be dead uh, so that they can take your stuff. Uh, and also when you die, you lose, I think all of your, at least half of your XP, uh, and all of your skills, but five, and you can choose which five that you can protect that, that never go away. Um, that's pretty hardcore mode. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's, that's pretty serious. And apparently they've, they also had a, uh, a specific server referred to as botany Bay that basically if you were found to have botted or cheated, they would remove all of your, your character and your assets and everything and put you in botany bay with the other cheaters. Does anybody know what botany bay is? Uh, not familiar. Okay. Botany bay is a place in Australia, which was a penal colony. It was also <laughs> interestingly enough, that was the name of Khan's ship when captain Kirk found him in the original star Trek series. Kind of sounds similar to something they did in EverQuest, like where they banished all the cheaters to. I'm trying to—I don't recall the name of that. It, it was—it it was kind of interesting. And apparently, there, there's a, a, at one point there were had even been talks of like um, like player-run tribunals for <laughs> for cheaters in uh, uh, in RuneScape. I don't know if anything ever came about of that, but I, I saw a couple mentions of that on the web. That, that I think it was maybe in an experiment where they would say, "Okay, well, here's." So imagine like, uh, you know, bringing in guys like Darth and Zell, God help us to like, you know, <laughs> judge people lag switching and cheating and, you know, generally being prolific players, you know, inciting riots and shit. It's kind of interesting. I, I'd almost be curious from a, a morbid standpoint to see how that turned out if they actually did that. <laughs> um, that's doesn't um, League of Legends have a tribunal system of some sort? I I don't know. I'm not that familiar with League of Legends. I think it does. Um, I I know that they also have, they have like a forum where people can like post to appeal a, a concern, and if they post there, then like the employ the employees of the company are more than more than welcome to post um 
like chat logs in response. So so if someone decides that they're going to go, oh no, I didn't, I didn't abuse this person, then they're opting in to allow the employee to say, no, you did, and here's a quote of it. <laughs> That's pretty good. All right, let's see. I've got one more that I can throw out there, and then I'll turn it over to uh, to the rest of the team for if you guys have anything uh, interesting you want to throw out there. So uh, this one I found kind of in a back doorway. It's kind of interesting. It's interesting to me in that I actually ha- I laid hands on this software uh, periodically as part of my actual professional life, and I did not realize how it tracked back. So. Does anybody remember an old um, an old PC kind of shooter, MMO shooter called Operation Flashpoint? It sounds familiar, but I don't know much about it. Okay, so Flashpoint came out in 2001, all right? Um, about mid-year 2001, and it, uh, it, it was fairly popular. I mean, it, it, it stuck around for a long time, probably about four or five years, and eventually it hopped over to Xbox, uh, it was Flashpoint Elite or something like that, but it, it basically, it, you know, it transitioned to Xbox at one point. It's predominantly a PC game. You couldn't, it's just Windows only. So that one, um, again, it was a, an MMO style shooter, kind of what you see some of the larger, larger, larger shooters out there. Now, eventually what they did is they took that same game and then they put a new name on the game called Arma. So so Operation Flashpoint became Arma. It's literally the same game and they've just continued to update the same game, like the same base code on it. Now that actually went all the way through multiple di- different versions of Arma from like several different kind of standalones and expansions of it up to from Arma 2. There's several different versions of Arma 2. Uh, and then it gets up to Arma 3. Now Arma 3 and this is where it gets interesting for me. This is still predominantly a lot of the same base code. Okay. There is a system called VBS3. Okay. You can Google that if you'd like. It's made by Bohemia uh, Interactive Solutions. So, and that's a Czechoslovakian company. So, VBS3 is Virtual Battlefield Simulator 3, aka ARMA 3. VBS3 is the thing that several governments uh, or nations around the world, mostly in NATO and the U.S. particularly, use as the ba- one of the basis for all of their actual simulated training. So, for example, uh, a lot of the tools that you ha- we have in simulators uh, and, a, and a lot of different like kind of uh, – we, we can actually shape like live training, virtual, and constructive training all and meld them together on different computer screens or, you know, different kind of mission command type computer systems uh, as part of the part of the military. So we literally use Arma 3 essentially under a different name because we, we're, the, we're the Army and we can't use a video game name when we're doing training um, as a rehearsal or a certification tool. So we put people in simulators utilizing basically an FPS style model off of VBS3. And that's what we'll train people on and do rehearsals on. People got and do live training, kind of the classic in the dirt sort of live training with bullets and all that kind of stuff. And then you come back and, it, and you retrain on the things that you identified as weak points. And oftentimes we will use VBS3, aka a video game. Uh, but that is actually, for the for the most part, a lot of the still the same code that they developed out of Operation Flashpoint back in two thousand one. 
So that was sort of my, I didn't realize this game was still alive. It is. And I happened to use it at work. <laughs> I had heard of armor being used uh, for the military, but I had no idea that um, it was related to Flashpoint. Yeah, I didn't either. I, I totally didn't. I, I'm not really sure what generated the name change, but it, it's, you know, it's actually pretty cool. And the things that they do, like if you look at Arma 3, um, like you have like drones, helicopters, it's kind of, you know, battlefieldish because you have like literally every every weapon and vehicle in the in inventory and all kind of different battlefield effects. All of that stuff that you see in Arma 3, that's literally what they use in simulators. Uh, so you will put guys behind computers and, and they'll basically, we call it pucking. Um, and it's it's literally like they're playing a first person shooter game. Now, while they're doing that, you'll have guys in like tanks, like full, up, full on tank simulators, looks just like the inside of a tank, Apache gunship simulators, you know, Bradley fighting vehicle simulators, the whole smash. And all of that goes into the same software bin. And so what happens is they use that, like basically that ARMA architecture, like when they want to have a UAV flying over, that's what they're doing it through. When they want to see troops on the ground maneuvering, those are guys like literally basically playing an FPS game next to the guys in the tank simulators that are down the hall. But it's all melded in a virtual environment. It's it, it's actually pretty cool. Uh, I, I just, I never understood that the, that was how they bridged the, you know, that was the platform that they were using to do all that work with. Very cool indeed. Yep. So I'll tell you what, guys. So Darth, Pokey, Zell, anybody? Do you guys have any old school games that you wanted to bring up that maybe are still around that most people you know, might not even know are still breathing? Uh, yeah, I actually have one more that I, I forgot about. Um, I, hear, I hear Dusk still exists. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's an old school game. Uh, no, but the one I'm thinking of is uh, Final Fantasy XI, actually. That came out in 2002 and it was released on the PlayStation 2 and the... Uh, and uh, the PC. And that was actually one of the few games that the PlayStation 2 would use the attachable modem for so you could play online. Huh. And that game actually had a full expansion in 2005. Like they still openly support it and people still actively play it so much that they actually had uh, a cross event where a character from Final Fantasy 11 appeared in Final Fantasy 14 and vice versa. So that was kind of cool. You had got to see. Uh, kind of a, a a blast from the past, so to speak, in the new online Final Fantasy game by, you know, interacting with some of the characters from the old one. So that that was pretty neat. I was very shocked to see that the game is still active and, you know, not just, you know, bug updates and whatnot, like they're actually actively supporting it and, and releasing uh, expansions for it and people are still going strong. I mean, it's a, a fantastic game. It's very, very good. So I, I can understand it, but, uh, you know, it was 14 years ago. So it's it's pretty impressive that they're still running. And it's pretty cool. I I did not realize that. How about you, Darth? You got any old school games you're interested in? Well, like I said, uh, I never really played any multiplayer no, multiplayer games, so to call them still alive would probably be incorrect. But um, I don't know. Relatively recently, the Dark Forces series and Jedi Knight, and then Baldur's Gate, Pools of Radiance. Ooh, if you want to go, that's, really that's pretty go. cool. Yeah, the, well, the Pulse of Radiance ones. I remember those. Those were those were like some of the original. Well, not the original, but they were like some of the first actual TSR old old TSR yep. slash D and D games that were actually have some level of quality, right? Yeah, oh yeah, the, it was really good quality for the time. Anyway, I s still have somewhere around here. We had a um, you know they came with huge manuals and and uh, like 
can't remember what they were called, but like code sliders that you would use to open dungeons and doors and stuff. And it'd be an actual piece of paper that you'd rotate. And it's really fun. Uh, you know, you can actually play Baldur's Gate on an iPad now. I do know that. <laughs> and, um, yeah, enhanced editions. It's actually pretty good. <laughs> They're really good. Yes, indeed. Yeah, I, uh, that's actually when I when I got onto the uh, to the uh, Shadowrun kick, you know, for a while the, mm. from HBS. Like I started looking around. They've got Icewind Dale and Baldur's Gate on uh, on iPad, and I've played yeah. the Baldur's Gate one. And it's it's actually pretty damn good. Yeah, I, I would give it my seal of approval for what it's worth. Um, have not yet picked up uh, pillars of eternity but i'm very much looking forward to that yeah no i, I remember uh i think one of my favorite old school ones of that genre so to speak was uh dark, the, the original dark sun and uh planescape mm -hmm. torment mm -hmm. those were really good and they were well and particularly planescape that was definitely like kind of groundbreaking in that you probably spent more time you know with text options than you did you know character development options than you did actually you know clicky fighting which, yeah. which was very novel for a game at that point. And it kind of, you know, I think that was one of the original game that, that kind of broke through what you now see with some of the Telltale games, like things like Mass Effect and and even some of the, the Hairbrain Scheme stuff they did with Shadowrun Hong Kong, which was, again, it's a very story-driven game as opposed to just a, you know, a click fest. Uh, so that I, very interesting, very interesting choice there, by the way. Hey, I got one for you. So you, you remember like the oldest of the old school you cut out, Jay. <laughs> Do you remember the oldest uh, Dungeons & Dragons video game, what the very first one was? Do I remember? No, I do not remember. I believe it was on Activision. Uh, and if I remember as a little kid, like a little kid, um, it, was, it was almost stick figure-ish. It wasn't even, it couldn't be... It was just like little green blocks walking around. You had like like five or six arrows or something like that, and the minute you ran out of arrows, you died. It was it was crazy, but I remember that like distinctly. I'm trying to look it up right now, but I'm pretty sure it was on Activision. Let's see. Ah, here we go. List of Dungeons and Dragons video games. This should be interesting. Uh, see that pools of radiance in television. Yeah, in television. There you go. No, actually, I take that back. It was on whatever an Apple, uh, a PD eleven or an Apple two. Then you then you had uh, the original Dungeons and Dragons computer fantasy game by Mattel back in eighty one. Man, they've been going strong for a while on these. Yep, I'm running down. Still got my of Apple two night. So the last one that they that they released was Sword Coast Legends, which I haven't played, but I've heard is relatively good. Uh, and that's supposed to be that reportedly came out in September of this year or of this last year. Yeah, it looks like it came out in October for PC and it's coming out for play, uh, console uh, sometime this year, 2016. Ah, if that hits PlayStation 4, I might actually give that a give that a whirl. Uh, should be kind of interesting. All right, so I think that's that's our old school stuff. Zell, I'm going to leave you to to put the frosting on the cake, man. What's your best old school game that nobody knows is still alive? Still alive? Um, I, I I already put up. I mean, dust is old school at this point. It's still there, kind of. No, um, <laughs> I, I I have no idea. I I've got nothing. Sorry, I'm so out of it today. I'm I have I can't even like I can't even crack good jokes. It's, I'm sorry. I'm just well, here. 
It's okay. And don't worry about cracking good jokes. I usually have to like go get a massage after carrying shit on my back <laughs> over the show on that one anyway. So Jesus. Uh, biomass backpack. Yeah. The Shrizel edition. Fucking extra weighty and slow. Uh, talk to CCP the- chair. You know some support. That's legit. CCP Ottoman. That would be that'd be money. <laughs> That would, that would definitely be my CCP name, CCP Ottoman. Uh, I'd be fucking working that. Um, okay, so I think that that actually caps a lot of the kind of the baseline stuff that we had for the show. Uh, so just so everybody's track, and we did talk about uh, doing a kind of a, a spotlight episode for Star Wars, you know, The Force Awakens, like full-on spoilers, tinfoilery, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, which we, we failed to record mostly because of my fault this week. So we that was our plan was to actually have a two for four years so you can have that episode and this one. Uh, so I think what we're going to try to do is, is get that recorded probably this coming week, um, which should be kind of fun. And we can talk about all, all of our uh, favorite tinfoilery. We, we were actually having a, a good bit of fun with the uh, the, the ongoing meme for uh, TR-8R, uh, the Stormtrooper, the... First order stormtrooper that Finn fights, aka traitor. Uh, and if you've seen the movie, you'll know exactly what we're talking about. So all in all, that should be kind of a fun thing that we can do. And, and actually, you know, Darth and Jadik, if you if you guys would like, if you want to come on for it, that's fine. We usually keep the spotlights to about thirty or forty minutes, but we could probably go like full on tinfoil for this one since there's there are no lack of fan theories going on right now. Uh, after that after that show. So it should be kind of interesting. Yeah. I assume you guys have both seen star Wars, right? Yeah. A couple times. Just, I can only know, imagine yeah. once, the, twice, dude who's three times. Darth. Yeah. No, it's, it, it was, it was very, very enjoyable. It's pretty good. And I believe we get, um, the star Wars spinoff rogue one this year, I think in yep. December. Yep. 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 And that one's, I'm pretty keen to see that one. That's got a really bitching cast, got Mads Mickelson in it and some other people that should actually be, uh, kind of kind of cool, and my understanding is it's more or less the same time frame as Star Wars Rebels, the uh, like the animated series, and they're Which reportedly is some level of crossover, or at least mention, I think. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me, um, but they are neck and neck, or, or they butt up in terms of timeline. Oh yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Like the way, like I was very skeptical of kind of the whole flushing all the expanded universe stuff uh, in terms of Star Wars, because th- there had been a an incredible amount of things written and developed for basically the expanded Star Wars universe before the, the current Force Awakens stuff. Um, but they, they're doing, they're doing pretty solid. The uh, they've got some pretty heavy hitting authors writing, uh, you know, kind of the companion books they're going with Force Awakens. Uh, Star Wars Rebels is actually pretty good my my seven-year-old watches it and i've seen three or four episodes of it actually seen almost maybe almost all of them um at some form or another and often they're quite good you know and they have a lot of the original actors doing the voices for it like james earl jones you know reprised darth vader on it a couple times um it's really it's surprisingly good actually so i'll be kind of interested to see how they start to like reimagine the rest of the Star Wars universe, you know, kind of based on the momentum they have with The Force Awakens. Both scared and uh, trembling. <laughs> thing, thing that you're most interested in learning coming out of uh, what you now know about 
the way forward for Star Wars, Darth. The one thing. One thing kind, you want to know. Kind of spoilery. It's okay. What? Hmm. Who Snoke is, I guess. Or I do not want uh, Ray to be in any way related to Luke, but I guess who Snoke is, is what I want to know. Okay. All right. That's pretty fair. I can, I can kind of buy that one. Jadak, how about you? What's the one thing that you want to, you would like to know going forward about all the Star Warsery that we're doing? How the hell they recovered that lightsaber? Ooh, good one. There's a lot of those dotted in there. Okay. How about you, Pokey? Uh, I'm kind of with Darth in this one. There's the, the whole Snoke's identity. I saw an interesting image online, which doesn't make any sense, but it compares him to another character and how that character looks, which is kind of weird. So it'd be good to tinfoil about that. Yeah, I didn't buy that one. But yeah, yeah but, I, uh, I, I don't I, buy that I, one either. Like I said, it doesn't make sense, but I look at it as kind of like, uh, that is oddly similar, but it doesn't, yeah. you know, it, it wouldn't work, but it, it's it's strange that they took those particular features and, and made them so similar to the other character. True enough. Yeah. Well, one thing I would offer is that, uh, actually, before we do that, Zell, what's the one thing you want to know, man? I want to know when this this new um, direction for Star Wars started by J.J. Abrams will ruin Star Wars for fans just as much as J.J. Abrams ruined Star Trek for me. Aww. Aww. Somebody get their feeling hurt. Too much lens flare. There was so little lens flare in this movie. He, he, he actually, like, he, he seemed to have learned his lesson. Like, in, um, after, uh, when when they were doing kind of some of the interviews for Star Trek Into Darkness, J.J. Um, Abrams actually admitted that he realized that he had a, a problem and that he had actually had to hire <laughs> he had to hire ILM to remove lens flares from Into Darkness before theatrical release because there were too many. And then in this movie, there were barely any at all. I think he finally was like, "Okay, I get it. I have a problem with lens flares." And I think, especially with trying to kind of match the uh, cinematic look of the original trilogy, there was just there was nothing in in lens flare speak in uh, in Force Awakens. Well, you know the one the one thing I would offer, Jake, is I actually believe it or not, I totally understand where you're coming from. If you're like a if you're like really sunk into like Star Trek, Star Wars, or whatever, and you and there and there's like a, a like a directional change in it, you know, or a tonal change in it, like that. Um, I could definitely see where you come from. And, and actually I'm kind of, I'm kind of with you a little bit in it. I'm a little bit more old school in the star Trek thing. However, I think the plot device of the alternate universe uh, was a master stroke on their part that it, opened up pretty much anything that they wanted to do. And, and, and I bought it. Like I, it I was be. prepared to be very skeptical about it, but the way they did it and how it was handled, I thought was really you hit the reset button, but nobody's not everybody's on the same pathway that they were in what I would I, I guess consider like the the original universe, so to speak. Well, it could be, and here's here's my big question. This is a question we're gonna have to wait twelve months for the answer to. Is Star Trek has always kind of had like a, a hit and miss record with the movies because in a lot of the either the movies end up taking this action-oriented tack where they have, you know, it's it's the good guys versus the, the, the villain, or some of them just come off as a, a feature-length Star Trek episode and not really cinematic. Um, so they've always had kind of a challenge getting, like, a movie tone to their movies. Um, so the big question for me 
is will they have the wisdom to put the next Star Trek series, which is coming out in 2017, back in the original franchise and do a, a franchise that's really back to Star Trek's roots of what it's really supposed to be, and then let the cinematic side live on its own. And there's a few, and, and you know, keep going with the Abrams thing on that end, because there's a lot of there's a lot of upsides to them for that because I know that um, Paramount owns like the license to the Star Trek movies and then CBS owns the license to the Star Trek TV series. And even though they're the same company, there's the way it divides, it's sketchy. Um, and they could simplify a lot by simply saying this is the movie franchise and this is the TV franchise and they're, they're separate. Um, and I, I really, really hope that they, they do that, but that's, that's going to be the big question. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, it's, um, like I said, I see your point on it. Uh, and I, so far as just in terms of creating fun shows to go watch, they're doing pretty good. Uh, I think they're, I, th- I think their box office numbers are at least saying that. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of okay with, they've got enough goodwill with me that I'll, I'll kind of keep, keep checking it out. So to recap, Soraya's biggest question about Star Wars is Star Trek. Star Trek do. Yes. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I, and, and based on the trailer that I saw of the upcoming Star Trek movie, I think they're trying to basically oh God. get some of that Guardians of the Galaxy shit going. There. Oh, it's they put the Fast and Furious director in in the le- oh, leading. They got some, like, some cool Beastie Boys going in there. I mean, what like, can't you? I mean, come on. <laughs> no, just no. Heck no. Um, yeah, no. Oh goodness gracious, that should be pretty interesting. Um. So, I, I I actually don't know what I'm looking forward to in terms of the next uh, kind of the next Star Trek or Star Wars and kind of kill me though. The um, uh, there, there's I'm just kind of interested to see where they're going to take us in the direction because Abrams is not directing the next one. They've intentionally they're intentionally going with different directors for different feels, which uh, I like different tones. And my understanding is that the, that the next one is supposed to be significantly darker. Um, you know, I, I, you know, the quote unquote gritty, you know, version of Star Trek or Star Wars. So it'll be kind of interesting to see kind of what they're doing. I'm kind of with you on that, Darth. I like the direction they're going and then they use different directors that bring different tones to it, uh, which should be really, really cool. One thing I will notice, I will throw this out there. Um, and it's not so much, I don't know if it's something I like, I'm like, it's not the number one thing I'm dying to know, but there was, if you look in the force awakens, the whole Jedi Sith thing kind of it's, it's almost moved into myth, but there's definitely a lot of people that are very aware of the force that I wouldn't call either Jedi's or Sith. So there's like that one pivotal character uh, kind of midway through the movie uh, that, that was definitely a quote unquote good guy is a female, a good person. Then I think there's a real debate whether Snoke is a Sith or not, <laughs> you know, and I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure if Kylo Ren's either. Uh, so not at this that, point, that could I would be, say. that could be kind of interesting. Cause then you, then there's an allusion to a, a whole other group of people that are, you know, apparently force users, uh, the Knights of Ren, you know, so well, it, this could be kind of interesting. They could be going down a, a neat path that was explored actually in the old extended universe a little bit with different groups of people other than just Jedi and Sith. Could be kind of interesting. For sure. All righty, folks. 
that kind of taps us out for most of what we were going to talk about tonight. Uh, so what I'd like to do is kind of move right on into the standard shout outs that we normally give. Uh, and any shout outs, anybody, and I'm, I've got, I'm going to take about two minutes at the end and I'll uh, talk a little bit about something uh, just because it's kind of our public service announcement of the week. So we'll go ahead and start at the top of the list and Zell, if you don't mind giving a shout out, shout out, please. Um, did, have I shouted out to Dayquil recently? Because if not, I am now. Solid. Okay. Uh, Darth. Dust514, uh, play it, don't play it. Either way, stay on the forums. Hmm. Okay. Uh, Jadik. Uh, shout out to the Incorruptibles Corporation. Having a uh, great time running with those guys in EVE right now. All right. Sounds good, man. Uh, Pokey. I'll give my shout out to Jagex, which was the uh, developer for RuneScape for making my first MMO ever. So there you go. There you go. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, cool beans. I will give a shout out to Wargaming America uh, since they are releasing World of Tanks fully on the PlayStation Four on Tuesday. Uh, so having kind of having a, a good bit of fun with that. I know, like if you've played the beta, you know, which I drug several people into the beta. It's a, uh, you know, it's one of those where you got to kind of you kind of have to like that style of gameplay. Uh, but if you do, you, you'll really like it a lot. They've got a very loyal following and it should be kind of interesting. I, I think if nothing else, they'll have a, a fairly large MMO offering for people on the PS4 if they want to get their, get involved in it. Uh, so could, could be kind of fun. I'm looking forward to it and I'll probably be playing it. I'm also looking forward to the division. That is the effectively the next game that's on my radar is, uh, and that should be coming out relatively soon. So on to kind of the PSA for the week. Um, I normally, like I rarely do this. I make no secret that I'm, uh, you know, I'm an active duty military person in kind of my day job and have a, a very varied um, set of experiences uh, in, in terms of what I do, uh, again, during for my day job and where I do it. But uh, one, of the, one of the consistent things that I would tell you about the military is that it is at its core. It is really about the people that comprise the military. There, most people fixate on the, on the systems, the you know all of these grandiose things, uh, which, by the way, most of the most of the conceptions people have about the military are misconceptions. Uh, but it is essentially at a, a a people-oriented activity, like any organization generally is, uh, and nowhere have I found that to be more so than the United States military, based on size the mission, like what it is asked to do. And so because it's a people oriented business, um, there are some things that become very challenging, you know, and it's not just the uh, deploying on a continual basis. I mean, that, that creates stress and that is a generator of a, of a significant amount of stress. So if you can imagine yourself being an 18 or 19 year old and you deploy two or three times and that's, and it's dramatically, uh, it's introducing dramatic experiences into your life that are affecting you in ways you, you may or may not have been prepared to. It will create stress. It does the same for families as well. Uh, and what this has led to in the recent years is probably what I would consider. I, I'm not sure if it's an either an uptick in veteran suicides or if it's a just an, an offshoot of we're much more aware of it. So therefore, it's reported and publicized more. Uh, but one of those two correlate, one of those two activities is going on. So there's been a, uh, over the last several years, there's been kind of a steady growing uh, suicide rate among, among veterans, mostly of which are 
about the age of the people that listen to this show, somewhere in their young 20, you know, early 20s. Um, this week, two soldiers that used to work for me uh, committed suicide in different is different events, 48 hours apart, different sides of the country. And it, it has been a fairly tough week. So if you are a military veteran and you are you are struggling in any way uh, and you need somebody to talk to, there are people out there. Uh, there's a lot of organizations. If you get a hold of militaryonesource.com or you get a hold of Wounded Warrior Project or you get a hold of me uh, or you can get a hold of a guy named Jay McLean at, at Eve Best of Us uh, on the Eve side, we will find you somebody that will help you. Okay. Uh, that one, I promise you a hundred percent. And even if you're not somebody from the military and you are struggling through some things, uh, contact somebody, uh, on Eve, there's a, there's a very, very, uh, good, you know, kind of organic community activity that's sponsored by CCP. And it's really all, all generated from the players called broadcast for reps. Uh, and that basically means, you know, in Eve, when your spaceship's damaged or you're hurting, you hit the broadcast button and it asks for reps. It's basically like, you know, somebody come help me, an SOS. Uh, and that's a, that is something that you'll hear a lot of, a lot of Eve players talk about is broadcast for reps. Uh, that is, that is something that's open to anybody. Again, I just use their meme for it. And that's, you know, so to speak, but if you are hurting or you know somebody that is, if they're a veteran, please get a hold of somebody like me. I'll, I'll help them out. Or like there's a guy named Jay McLean at Eve best of us on Twitter. And you can also find him in game at the, at Eve best of us, uh, the channel in game and Eve. Uh, and we'd be more than happy to get you pointed in the right direction or get, try to give you a hand at least initially from ourselves. So I do appreciate the, you know, great banter on the show and I don't want to end on a bad note. It's really more of a positive note in that, um, it's about getting the message out that there's ways that we can help you out and there's things we can do for you. Uh, and you're not alone. Okay. Like a lot of, like my buddy, Jay McLean, he found a lot of uh, good friends through online gaming that helped him out quite a bit. So I do appreciate everybody t- giving me a couple minutes uh, to hop up on my soapbox. And with that, we are going to go ahead and bring this episode number 88, the Rick roll edition to a close. Good night and good luck. <laughs>